Welcome to Willard Church of the Nazarene. We're glad you're here. We can't wait to share the service with you.
Genesis 29, beginning at this, this verse 15. And if somebody could adjust the thermostat, I would love you. Uh, this is the story of Jacob, though, and his two wives. And I thought it'd be the perfect Valentine's, Valentine's Day story for this season. Uh, this is a story that can bless your marriage or bless your singleness. In either case, if you let it. Genesis 29, beginning at verse 15, would you stand in honor of God's word? Laban said to him, just because you're a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you for seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed and I want to make love to her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpha to his daughter as her attendant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this that you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why then have you deceived me? Laban replied, it is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me. I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, This time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for it. We thank you for this amazing gift. Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes and ears to receive it. We pray that you would soften our hearts. And we pray that through it you would change us to look more like you. Father, have your way in this service. Lord, nobody wants to hear a person. We want to hear from you, the God of the universe. And we give you all right of way. Speak to us. Speak to our hearts. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, We're going to focus on Jacob and Leah today. Jacob is a man with inner emptiness. That would be how we would describe his life. He's a a lot like us at, at this point. He's desperate for other people's affirmation, other people's 
blessing, for other people's approval for success. In, in Genesis chapter 28, we see Jacob has his first encounter with God, a personal encounter, and he enters into a covenant relationship with him. But here in 29, we see something very important for us all to understand. Even though that relationship with God has, become, has begun, it has not immediately filled the emptiness that he has. There's still a struggle there. And that might be true for many of us here this morning. You know God, but you still have this emptiness. You're still seeking after people or things in hope that it will fill the void. Now, I, I like Jacob's stories. I, I, Jacob's story. I, I like Old Testament stories because they're filled with a lot of drama, a lot of family problems. And yet, despite all the craziness, like this is uh, Kardashian crazy, right? We clearly see God is at work in these people's lives. And that just gives me hope that he can work in and through my life as well. Now, we talked about the emptiness in Jacob's life and, and, and our life. In today's passage, we're going to see Jacob try and give himself hope. He's going to try and fill that like we do, right? Because often we have this emptiness, and typically there's one thing above all other things that we as Americans and as people, as humans, try to fill the emptiness with. Do you know what that is? True love. True love. That, that's what's going to fill the void in our lives, right? People with an inner emptiness have a tendency to give themselves to the hope that out there there is someone, just that right person, right? That if we can get with he or she, that person is somehow going to... Uh, Make my life complete. My life full. But it's an illusion. So what lies behind the hope for one true love? Well, let's look at the beginning. How did Jacob get into the situation? Verse 15, Laban said to him, Just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Some, some context here, all right? Jacob, uh, Jacob's grand, grandfather was Abram. God came to him and said, hey, I'm going to save the world through your lineage, through your family. Out of your descendants will come the Messiah, right, who is going to defeat sin and death. And what that meant was that for every generation after him, there would be one person, one child that would be the bearer of the Messianic seed. And Jacob is the one in his generation. It, it was interesting, though, because Jacob was not the firstborn. He was the second born of twins. And God said through prophecy, the, the older will serve the younger. Now, Jacob's father, Isaac, loved and preferred the older son, Esau, more than Jacob. And so that's what Jacob grew up with. He grew up with that favoritism, right? Esau was the hunter. He was a hairy man. He was a, a, a manly dude, right? And, and Jacob just wasn't. He was second best. 
And we have this moment that plays out between Jacob and, and, and his father, where his father's really old and blind and near death, right? And uh, Jacob dresses up as his brother, puts on his clothes, puts on something to make himself feel hairy, and he goes in to his father and steals Esau's blessing. Esau was, of course, furious with this, right? And wants to kill him. Jacob had already gotten Esau to give him his birthright, had, had get him to trade his birthright for some food when Esau was famished. You probably remember the story. Uh, and as a result, though, Jacob has to flee. He's got to run for his life. And everything falls apart for him. He runs far away to be with relatives of his mother, his mother whom he will never see again, his mother whom she is the only one that seems to favor him, right? To truly love him. And, and now he's starting to work. He's tending the flock of his uncle Laban. And Laban comes to him and says, hey, look, let's negotiate a contract. What should your salary be? And Jacob answers Laban in verses 16 through 18. And in this answer, we see how Jacob is coping with that inner emptiness. Verse 16, now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you for seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. So from this, we, we see that Rachel not only has a, a lovely figure, but she's beautiful. And Jacob is in love with her, right? We, we might say madly in love with her because he does a very poor job in negotiating this contract, right? We, we know from history at this point that uh, the typical bridal price was 30 to 40 shekels. That was a normal price a, a, a person would pay a family in order to marry their daughter, right? And if you take that and compare it to what a normal wages were for a year, which is about 18 shekels, he, he's offered seven years at 18 shekels, that's 126 shekels for something that probably typically is 30 to 40 shekels. He's, he's giving three to four times. It's an enormous amount, which tells us that he's out of his mind in love, right? And notice, <clears throat> we're told that seven years go by like they were only a few days in verse 20, because why? He was in love. And, and maybe a lot of women in here go, aw, right? That, that sounds sweet. Look at what this guy was willing to do. And then we come to verse 21, though. And it says, then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is complete, and I want to make love to her. There's a red flag that goes up here for, for people who understand this culture and this context, right? Because it's totally out of character for this time. It kind of is customary for our time and day and age, but not for them, Right? Give, me, give me my wife, I want to lie with her. Jewish rabbis have struggled with this for centuries to explain the, and justify the boldness of this statement, the, the crassness, the grossness that is here. Here's a man who is emotionally and sexually overwhelmed with longing for Rachel. And it shows an obsession that he will do anything to, to get her. Now, what's behind that? This speaks to what he's dealing with. 
This speaks to how he's approaching the failures of his life, right? He's looking at her as a trophy wife, right? That's who Rachel is to him. And if I can get Rachel, right, the most beautiful, stunning woman in this whole territory, then my life will have meaning. It will count. Finally, something in my life will be going right. Like I said, this is kind of typical for people today. That's what my wife was thinking when she married me. <clears throat> A trophy husband, I'm sure, right? She didn't deny it. Most people, though, in this time period didn't marry for these reasons. Our culture, yes. We say the same thing play out. We have the trophy wives today, right? But it speaks to looking to someone. It speaks to looking to a spouse to, to really fill spiritual emptiness. And that's a problem. I'm going to find that one person out there that completes me, right? Uh, a Jerry Maguire quote, if you ever saw that, that movie. That one person that makes me full spiritually. And the truth is that never lasts because our spouses or those other people in our lives cannot give us that fullness that we desire. Man, I, I, and what ends up handing, happening? We think, man, I, I must have married the wrong person because I had that fullness right when we first got married, but now I, something's different. Now it's just not the same. Maybe, maybe I'm falling out of love with this person. And so what do we do in our culture? We, we trade people in. This person will now fulfill me. Do you see the problem there? Do you see what we have to be careful of, right? Uh, we can't just say, oh, I fell out of love. Uh, I want you to know that if you're married and you're years into it, right? You're not in the honeymoon stage right now. You're years into it and you're looking to your spouse or you're looking to your kids to fulfill you, they will never do that. They cannot do that. It's not possible for them. You will be empty. Jacob's looking to his trophy wife for redemption and for the failures of his life. Before he gets to his trophy wife, though, uh, the deceiver, that's the word behind Jacob's name, the deceiver gets deceived. I thought this was interesting when I noticed it. Jacob meets his match with Laban, right? The minute that Jacob says, I'll work for you for seven years for Rachel, Laban's mind starts calculating, starts spinning, and he recognizes Jacob's desperation. And how does he answer Jacob? It's interesting. He does not say yes to the offer. Did you notice that? He gives this vague, oblique answer. I'll work for you for seven years in return for your daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than some other man. Stay here with me. There's no yes in there. It's just kind of an oblique answer. <clears throat> Jacob wanted it to be a yes. Jacob heard that it was a yes, but it wasn't a yes. So he works seven years and says, now it's time. And he thinks he's getting married to Rachel, right? <clears throat> but he finds a surprise. Verse 25, when morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why 
Have you deceived me? You ever wonder how this could happen? How, how could you marry the person that you didn't expect, right? But this, this bride would have been heavily veiled in this custom in this day. There would have been a, a big feast that lasted hours, and she would have remained veiled that whole entire time, and that was the, the custom. And then finally at night, right, Laban brings his daughter to Jacob. So it's dark. There's no lights. It's after hours and hours of drinking, right? And they lie together. And he's thinking it's Rachel, but in the morning it's Leah. Jacob's understandably upset. He's hot, right? Seven years and you deceived me. There's clearly anger here. You ever wonder how Laban thought he would get away with that or what he was thinking? How do you explain that? Well, as we said, he really didn't make a promise about Rachel. He didn't really agree with Jacob's proposal. And then he brings in the excuse in verse 26. Laban replied, it is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. That's how he explains it. Did did those words still ring a bell for you who know this story? It's not custom to give the younger before the older. I, I think that must have hit Jacob square in the face. Maybe it even hit him the moment he said the word deceived. Maybe it reminded him immediately how he deceived his father, right? Oh man, he's doing exactly to me what I did to my dad. I reached out in the dark expecting somebody else, just like my father who was blind reached out to the dark and expected somebody else, and both of us were deceived. The very same thing that happened to his father happened to him. And my friends, the Bible is true when it says, you reap what you sow. I imagine as he's reminded of that, maybe the fury on his lips kind of dies away. He knows now what it's like to be deceived. That's Jacob. But what about Leah? Right? She's often the one that's overlooked in, in all of this. What do we know about her? Well, verse 17 tells us one thing. She has weak eyes. But Rachel was lovely in form and very beautiful. What does weak eyes mean? Well, it's a, basically just a contrast to Rachel. And so we can assume either maybe she literally had weak eyes and, and they crossed. That's what happens a lot of times when your eyes are, are weaker. Or it just means that she was not attractive like her sister was. So she grows up, either way, in the shadow of a sister who's stunning. And she's not. And that's why Laban has to almost unload her on Somebody tricks somebody to take her. That's the only way that he's going to get this daughter married off. He's going to have to pull a fast one. How would you feel if that's how you came to be wedded to someone, right? Have you ever put yourself in her shoes and, and, and just seen how painful they were? She was the unwanted one, the ignored one. In, in a way, she's just like Jacob, though, right? And who does... Leah turned to, to fill the hole in her heart, the brokenness in her life. Both Jacob and her, they're very similar when you think about it. They both have that same emptiness. She looks to Jacob, though, to fill that. And she thinks having kids will earn that love, right? 
not only kids, but she has sons. And in this culture, that was everything. That was the pinnacle for women. And we learn a lot about her from the names that she gives to these sons, right? Because every time she has one, she gives a name that tells a story. And it's, and it's often an expression of longing for Jacob, right? The first is Reuben, taken from the word to see. And she says in verse 32, <clears throat> it is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now, right? Maybe now he just won't look through me to Rachel. Maybe he'll see me now. I've given him a son. Second is Simeon taken from the word to hear. And she says, the Lord heard that I'm not loved. Maybe now my husband will, will hear me, right? I've given him two sons, two incredible gifts, right? Third is Levi from the word attached. And she says in verse 34, now at last my husband will become attached to me. I have borne him three sons. Finally, now my husband should love me. I've given him three sons, three amazing gifts. I've, I've borne him all of these, and Rachel hasn't done anything like this. My husband has to love me. I'm the perfect wife, at least according to this culture at this time. This is how she's handling the emptiness in her life, the hole. It's the same hole that Jacob dealt with because his brother was preferred, right, over him. And here her sister is preferred over her. He was the overlooked one. She's the overlooked one, right? And he looked for someone to make him complete, and she's hoping that Jacob will be the person that makes her complete with his love. Three sons should have given him her an edge over Rachel. Finally, finally, she's better in some way than her sister is way better. I'm finally somebody worthy of being attached to, right? I'm finally somebody worthy of being seen, of being heard. But things don't change, right? And she remains in a hell, a marriage that was a literal hell, it's worse than being not married, right? Because the one person she's giving her heart to, the one person she's looking to to redeem her is the very same person who takes this other woman that she's been second class to her whole life and makes her the focus of his love, right? What do we take away from this? Well, we're all like Jacob. We all strive to find one person to give our life meaning. That's just typically as, as humans what we do. We, all, we always look for something at least or someone to give us that. We often can get those things. We often do find a way to get those things, right? And we go to bed with them and we always wake up, though, with something else. We all go to bed with Rachel, but we all wake up with Leah, right? Whatever that thing is that you're turning to, that you're thinking, you know, they're it, it won't last. 
It always changes. It, it never satisfies in the end after, after a few years or whatever, maybe even sometimes sooner. That, that job, that status, that thing we pursue, that person, that situation, the money, it always seems like Rachel, but we always wake up with Leah. C.S. Lewis said in Mere Christianity, listen to this, most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want and acutely want something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that it offers to give to you, but they never quite keep their promises. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love or, or think first of this some foreign country or, or first pick up some subject that excites us, these are the longings which no marriage, no travel, no leaning, learning will ever satisfy. I'm not speaking of what ordinarily would be called unsuccessful marriages or trips and so on. I'm speaking of the very best possible ones. They are always something we have grasped at in that first moment of longing that just fades away in the reality. The spouse may be a good spouse. The scenery has been excellent. It has turned out to be a good job. But it, it, the thing that we thought was going to be the center of it, always evades us in the morning. I want you to have a great marriage. I want you to have a great marriage. I want you to have great relationships. But this one thing will destroy it faster than anything else. I want you to have a great life, but I don't want you to be deceived. If you go after these things in order to fill that emptiness in your life, you will always have to discard them for something new. That's why divorce is so rampant in our culture. You can't fill the need that you have in your life with that other person. No matter how great your spouse is, it just doesn't work, right? You're always going to feel cheated. You'll always look at the people around you and be jealous of what they have, and you're going to think, then they've got the marriage, right, that I want. They've got the life that I want. Your heart will get hard, and you'll ultimately either blame God or hate yourself. That's what will happen, right? That's what we see in this story. This is a great Valentine's Day message, right? What's the hope? What's the hope in this passage? Did you see it? Where can your ultimate desires be filled? Because it's in there. Did you notice it? Ah, the, ha- the answer is, look what happens to Leah. Look at the progression. Child number one, surely my husband will love me now. Child number two, <clears throat> the Lord heard I'm not loved. Surely my husband will hear me. Child three, now at last my husband will become attached to me. Child four, verse 35. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time... I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. And then she stopped having children. Where's the mention of her husband? It's not there, right? Where's the longing for him to fulfill her? It's not there, 
right? What took its place? Praise. What must take the place? Praise, right? This time, I will praise the Lord. Judah means praise. Judas would be from the line of Christ that Christ would come from, right? The word Lord there, all caps in some Bibles, is the word Yahweh, the covenant relational name of God. It implies relationship, right? It's not like the lowercase name of Lord that talks about God in, in, as some generic name of God like Elohim or Adonai, right? Those are just the general sense of God. But this is Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. This is Yahweh, which implies relationship. You see, all other people besides Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they would know God in a general sense. But these people knew him as Yahweh because they had a personal relationship with him. And they've taught that to her. She's seen that, right? That's the name she uses for God in this passage. And I don't want to gloss over this at this point and think everything is roses, right? Because she's still using that name, still in this idol's grip of her husband and kids. She's still in that, right? She's still looking to her husband for her purpose. But though that has a grip on her, she's also reaching out to Yahweh in that personal relationship, trying to get a relationship with him. And I think she has a breakthrough on kid number four because she says, I'm just going to praise God. In fact, she says even this. She says, this time. Didn't do it last time or the last time or the last time. This time I will praise the Lord, period. Right? End of story. No mention of her husband. I'm not going to work on this emptiness that I have like I've been doing. I'm not going to look to him to fulfill it. I'm not going to look to that my spouse, right? I'm going to look to Yahweh and praise him. I don't even need to have children anymore, right? My friends, what is the deepest, darkest desire that you have that you're seeking to fill the emptiness in your life? Is it a person? Is it some status? Do you find your sense of worth by work? Do you find your sense of worth because you're a parent? Do you look for that spouse's affirmation to give you hope? My friends, if you do, you're making them an idol. And it will destroy your life. It will wreck it faster than anything else. You cannot put the weight of God on somebody else and expect them to be able to bear it. If my wife looks to me to fulfill her, she's going to be dissatisfied she's going to have that emptiness inside of her because I will never stack up to God. 
Don't look to your spouse. Don't look to that thing. I'm praying that you're praying right now, Holy Spirit, what is it that I'm looking to in hopes to fulfill me? Right? Don't make them an idol. Praise team, would you come? They cannot fulfill that emptiness inside you. Only he can. This time, I will praise God, right? Because he's redeemed me. Because he's set me free. Because he's given me purpose. Because he fulfills my soul. God, forgive us if we look to anything else other than him, right? Verse 31, can I, can I say something to somebody in here today? I don't know who this is. Now the Lord saw Leah was unloved, and he opened her womb. If I could, can I speak to you if you feel unloved? Can you, can you hear this? The Lord saw that Leah was unloved and opened her wood womb. I might say the Lord saw that Leah was unloved and loved her. Right? Two weeks ago, I told you about the bridegroom. My unloved feeling friends, he is your bridegroom. And that's how he looks at you. You've got to relate to him in that way. That has to be a part of how you relate to God. He is the only spouse that will fulfill you. He is the only spouse that will never let you down. He is the only spouse, right, that can bear the burden of Godhood. So quit looking to somebody else or somebody, something else to do what only God can do, right? There's a very painful time in my life where I was abandoned and rejected by the person that I was looking to to fulfill me. In that time, I lost everything. I lost not only that person, but all of my friends. My finances were a mess. But in that season... I found Christ. I found a Savior. I had been in church for decades before that, but I didn't know him like I did when I came through that season. He became the fulfillment of my life. He became the person that I looked to. It took me losing everything. I hope it doesn't take you that to see that, to really get that right? In him, right? I saw the person that the Bible says was nothing special to look at. Maybe that's how you see yourself, right? Nothing special to look at. I found the God who exactly knows what I was feeling because he was rejected. I found the God who knew what exactly what it felt like because he was abandoned, Right? I saw the one true God who knows what hell is really like. 
Some of you may feel like you're in that right now. You have a Savior who knows. You have a Savior who sees you. And He'll be the fulfillment of everything you need if you let Him. If you're willing to say, this time I will praise God. If you're willing to take whatever it is that you're looking at or looking to for fulfillment, if I can only have this man in my life, if I can only make this amount of money, if I can only, if this person will only love me. If you can say this time and lay that down and praise him, he'll become everything you need everything that you've ever wanted, everything that you've ever desired. He'll become more real to you than he ever has. And he will turn your life upside down. And he'll probably give you the thing that you've been chasing after, that you think you want, that will satisfy your soul. He'll give you all that. But in him, it'll be enough. Amen? Would you stand with me? I want to give you an opportunity to let the Holy Spirit just speak to your hearts. What is it that's an idol in your life? What is it that you're looking to? Approval of men? What is it? Will you say in your hearts this time, I'll praise God and I'll look to him instead of what I've been chasing after what I think I want. I'll trust him with my entire life. Will you do that? Man, talk about a blessing for your marriage to take that godhood off your spouse, you know, that pressure. Oh, it'll help you. Amen? Let's sing. Let's praise him. Do it. 
pray that whatever that is that you lay it down if you need to still come to the altar after we dismiss or or when I pray don't leave here without doing that settle it today you're just inviting emptiness to continue if you don't lay whatever it is down and surrender it to him and find the freedom that comes from him amen let's pray And if you don't know him, come talk to me. I'd love to introduce you to him. Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you that you are the true bridegroom. Lord, our spouses can't measure up to that, but they were never meant to. Lord, I pray that that marriages in here would be blessed. I pray that things in here that need to be let go would be let go go of. Father, I pray that the the people in here who are single, Lord, please don't let them look to somebody else to complete them. Lord, let them find that in you. And Father, be, be so real to them that they don't desire that or even need that other person, Lord. Father, forgive us for making somebody else a God, an idol, or something else, whatever that is, Father, forgive us. Show us the seriousness of that. 
and help us to surrender our entire lives to you. Lord, we love you and we give you all praise. In your name we pray, amen.